I'm going to be honest, B2B marketers took a little while to warm up the digital. There was kind of a reliance on trade shows and some of the, the old school tactics everybody was really comfortable with. Well, we all know what happened. Sure enough, B2B marketers got really good at digital fast. In fact, they warmed up to it and, and it's now on fire. You hear lots of consumer tactics being adopted, lots of targeting becoming more human and empathetic and all of that good stuff. But this year, it's going to go to a totally new level. So to hear more about that and what we can expect and all the dynamic things to come, I have two great speakers with me today. One's going to be representing the marketer side and one is going to look at the agency side and we're going to really get into it. With me, I have Anamika, Director and Head of Customer Marketing at Fujitsu Americas. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Ken. Great to have you. And Simon McAvoy, who is Head of Strategy at Omobono. Thank you very much, Ken. Good to be here. For me, you know, I've seen so many shifts, but I'm going to ask both of you, what is the biggest, you know, what is one of the biggest trends or things that have, have really impacted digital when it comes to B2B marketing? And I'm going to come to Anamika first. Thank you, Ken. And um, I probably will just put it in two words, customer expectations. I think customer expectations has it did change in the past, but it has changed so much, so much during COVID, you know, in the period we are living right now, because customers are being spoiled, I would say, because they the environment of working has changed. It's no more like I'm going to go to the office or I'm going to have a personal experience and we'll have a professional experience. Things are mixed up. And even in B2B world, I've started seeing the customer expectations have rise so much. It's soaring high. Customers, I mean, a few things when I talk about customer expectations is customers are saying, treat me like a human, not a number. They are not a number. They are, they are human. And we are into human to human business. That's, that's what about it is. It's not about B2B. It's not about B2C or uh, B2G. It's about human to human. So treat me like human. I'm, a num I'm not a number they are asking us to respond quickly. Like literally, I'm going to tweet and respond to me, right? Wherever you are, you need to respond to me. So like respond to me quickly. There shouldn't be any latency in there. Almost like real time. <laughs> That's what the expectation has been. They're asking us to be consistent across channels and asking us to meet where they are. Apart from these things, and these were there as well, but a few things which I have started seeing, which has changed a little bit, in fact, more, and there's been uh, a little bit more uh, awareness onto this, and they're asking question, who are you? What do you stand for? Tell me your mission, your purpose that I can align with, and do I align with that or not? And they're asking that question. So it's, it's upon us, and it's very important to define that purpose of the business you're doing right? They're also saying, uh, of course, privacy is one of the things that everybody's talking about, right? And they are asking, now privacy is not a religious discussion anymore. It's about economic discussion, right? It's about the economic value. They ask things like, tell me what are you going to give me back if I give my privacy to you, right? If I give my information to you. So they're demanding, right? And that's the right demand. I'm one of those consumers, right? I'm, I'm demanding as well. And last but not the least, I would say, they're asking, reward me for my loyalty. What are you going to give me back? And how are you going to give me back? In B2B world, it's about value versus B2C, where you can kind of you know, give it in some tangible way. But in B2B, it's about value, the experience, right? I'd say that's the shift. That's the biggest shift I'm seeing. Great, great. Well, we definitely a lot of ground covered there. Simon, you know, what do you think? 
Well, I, I think, first of all, you know, I, I agree with everything that Anamika has just said. Uh, and I think that maybe the way to build on it is to say what, what those expectations are coming into contact with is a whole new set of constraints that have been put on businesses to deliver really well. I mean, what, what you know, COVID has done is it's taken a, a, a kind of a, a go-to-market model that was working pretty well and, and working just kind of okay. And, and people were motoring along with it with lots of face-to-face -face selling and events and the things that you talked about earlier. And, and it's suddenly take them all away. And so at a point when expectations are increasingly high, businesses' abilities to, to deliver on those have been really hampered. And so I think this is this tension actually is where a lot of the challenges are coming, where a lot of the, the you know, mistakes are being made, but also where the innovation is coming from, you know, where people are trying new things and experimenting and because they're being forced to. And, and it, it is kind of exciting to see because I think there's something that's, you know, there was statistics I saw about the fact that we've, we've gone, you know, we've had 10 years of e-commerce development in B2B in the space of two years, you know. There's a lot of businesses that would never have considered selling online um, were it not for COVID and, and the, the constraints that's placed on people. And, and that's not something we're going to roll back from. I mean, all the data shows that that actually people prefer to buy this way. Um, th there's a kind of an interesting model that's emerging, which is the kind of 30-30-30 model of, you know, 30% in-person, 30% remote selling, and 30% digital self-serve. And actually, this is, you know, it depends on the industry, of course. There's lots of dependencies and caveats. But Roughly speaking, this is how people are now looking to buy from businesses and, and, and the way they want to approach it. So we, we, we see this kind of coming together of these two conflicting factors. And that, that I think, is, is where the innovation is coming from and where we're seeing a lot of new ideas. Um, but it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. But you really have to tip your hat because people are just moving so quickly and adopting so many new tactics and experimenting. In that vein, when you look at B2C marketers, you know, obviously it's a lot different selling a stick of gum or a sneaker versus a multi-million dollar, multi-year contract where you're influencing many decision makers to, to say, yeah, let's do it. Um, so what are some of the tactics that you've seen B2B marketers and, 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 and your clients adopt from the B2C world? To, to achieve those ends. And in many ways, B2B marketers have kind of even improved upon some of them. So interested in your thoughts there. So Anamika, what do you what do you think? I think Simon made a couple of very good points about innovation and other stuff, right? But And I think one of the innovation I'm seeing is about the level of personalization. And that's what I think B2B has borrowed from B2C. It is, it is now not more like something that, hey, it's good to have. It's about that it's need to have, right? we need to bring that level of personalization. So I would say that is something that we have borrowed and we have learned from B2C to do a little bit better. We're still not there, by the way. We still need to kind of do a little, a lot more. But things are becoming a little bit easy. And I say that because we have a good driver um, or um, I wouldn't say driver, the enabler, right? In, in technology, right? Because there's so many good technologies out there that is helping us understand um, the decision makers, the influencers, and, and also where they are sitting, what they're consuming, how they're digesting the information, right? So that is helping us define the level of personalization and how quickly we can do that personalization. Supporting personalization, I would say the other thing which is very, very important, and I think we have learned this from B2C world, is about the content, 
right? How can we build that transmedia content? And these days, I don't produce, my team doesn't produce any more of those like eight-pager white paper. It's about it's about a small bite-sized content that, that our customers are consuming on the go. And remember the days when we used to have those ads, like, you know, literally a couple of seconds. And um, that's how you kind of sell stuff, right? So it's the same thing in B2B. Even if you're selling that long-term contract, it's about a small bite-sized content delivering those information, informing the decision makers. All right, Simon. So what have you seen? What are some changes and things that we've adopted and adapted? I think there's an interesting, actually, an interesting reflection just on what Anamika was saying about personalization, because I agree. I think there's a a really some really interesting uses of that. The one thing I would say that creates an interesting tension for B2B marketers is that yes, you're selling to an individual, but you're selling to an individual that's part of a buying group typically. It depends on the size of the company, it depends on what they're buying, but they're often, you know, having to consult with other people in order to make the sale. So I think B2B marketers need really good data at an account level as well as at an individual level to do personalization well. And that could be quite challenging. You know, we're certainly seeing some of those challenges with some of our clients. Um, so I think that that's, that's just an interesting reflection on personalization. The, the thing I wanted to talk about actually when it comes to what B2B are borrowing from B2C, which I'm really pleased to see is, is the emotion in, in storytelling, uh, you know, in advertising that's that's been such a kind of a hallmark of B2C advertising as long as we can all remember. But sometimes it just seems to get missed out when it comes to B2B. You know, it go, we go straight for the kind of the, the the sort of cerebral, rational cell, as opposed to thinking actually about how we can connect more deeply with people's, you know, their sentiments and their feelings and their emotions. And, and, and that's what we've got to remember people are ultimately. You know, I always go back to that kind of, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM. You know, that's an emotional cell, not a rational one. And uh, and so every B2B organization needs to think about their story and how they can connect more emotionally with um, with customers. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, and we'll come back to that. But there's there's one technical aspect that I was thinking about when you were talking about targeting and, and, and whatnot. You know, I, I actually worked at a B2B agency before coming here to the drum. And, and I remember when everybody started talking about ABM, you know, account based marketing was was the shiny new toy and object. And, and obviously there's, there's a lot of effectiveness there, but now there's a lot of talk about like ABX, you know, like experience and how do you layer on experience to that? So I'd like to dig into that a little bit because I find that to be a really interesting concept. And for this one, I'm going to come to you first, Simon. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what ABX means and how we've kind of evolved, you know, what we started doing pre-pandemic. Yeah, so... I mean, the first thing to say is, you know, we 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 do we run ABM programs for our, our clients. They're very successful. We're fans of ABM. The, the ABM is not dead, right? So we let's say that first of all. But that it does have limitations. So so ABM typically does still in most organizations sit something somewhere in a silo. So it's the kind of part of the broader, broader marketing team, and there's an ABM team, and they'll be running ABM campaigns. And look, if it's done really well, it'll link into sales, but. But often it doesn't reach far beyond that in the organization. And I think what 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 we're trying to do with ABX is to say, let's think about a, a, an account-based approach in the way that a B2C brand would think about a customer-based approach, a customer experience strategy. Okay. They're thinking about every touch point that the customer comes into contact with, not just the ad or the marketing campaign. And they're thinking about the way that the customer buys and the way that it feels to be a customer. And so what we're trying to do with ABX is say, well, let's take that same philosophy and apply it to key strategic accounts. 
what's every touch point that those people come into contact with? You know, let's let's think much more broadly than just a marketing or even a sales approach. What's it like to engage with procurement? What's it like to engage with legal? What happens when your contract's up and you need to re-sign? You know, how does that experience feel? And, and actually, this is the crucial thing about ABX is how does it feel? Because all of our memories, the built-up experience, that, that, that sense we have of whether we like a brand or not is a very emotional thing. You know, all our memories are very closely linked to our emotions. So encouraging that kind of positive feeling at every step of the way and on every touch point is, is really important. Yeah, I mean, it's everything. And I think often in the past, B2B tended to get a little too technical or functional or look at this little thing we can do for you versus like, how do you feel about that? And how you feel about the relationship with our team, which is really when you succeed, when that's all working. So Anamika, how do you, how do you make that happen for your clients? You know, what are some of the things that you do? I think uh, Simon's, what Simon said is that, right, ABM is not dead. It's still there. But what we fail to understand when we were implementing or when we are implementing or some of my colleagues and peers I know who are implementing and saying they're doing ABM is that ABM is just an approach. It is a framework of how you kind of connect with your customer, right? It is not something I want to do. It's not something that flashy stuff that, hey, this needs to have or this needs to be part of my team. I really want to do it. It's about the need, ultimately go back to the customer needs. You know, the points both you and Simon were making is about the customer experience. It's about creating that experience. And ABM kind of helps that because it helps you get focused onto certain things. It becomes a help targeted, right? It's like, this is exactly what you want to achieve out of it. And what you want to achieve is that your customers should feel elated, right? They should feel special because now you're trying to understand their, what exactly their needs are. And you define that. You bring the right team together. You bring the right content together. So when I say right team, and Simon, you were talking about this a little bit, breaking the silos. So your customer if I'm a customer, I am not talking to Ken because he's, he belongs to marketing department. So for customers, it's not about marketing division. It's not about sales division. It's not about procurement division. It's about Fujitsu, right? It's like I am talking to Fujitsu, even if I'm talking to Simon or to Anamika or Ken, right? I should exactly get the similar experience. So internally, we need to start breaking that silos as well. We cannot keep calling ourselves that I belong to marketing division and this is only what I see. I belong to procurement. I'm going to look into and give you all the painful processes that you will have to carry with your customer. You need to define, you need to make it simple when you're kind of exchanging hands for the customer. The customer should feel that experience. And these are very minor stuff, but this really needs to be worked upon because this creates a big experience for the customer at the, in the, at the back end, right? It's like, who is Fujitsu? And they define it by the experience they are having at every moment as they're exchanging hands with the team from sales to delivery to, to procurement, right? That's how it kind of defines. So, I, I mean, for, for again, ABM is, is, is a framework. It's an approach. It's, it's all about creating that customer experience. And for that, we need to start breaking the silos internally, bring the team together to get to the customer needs and make them feel special. It's about creating that incredible experience experience if you really want to gain the sustainable growth for your company. So that's that's where I leave it. I think ABM is not dead. Terrific. You know, now that we've had all of this great progress that's happened, you know, in the past year, what's going to happen more this year? What's going to accelerate? What can we expect to see 
you know, um, gaining steam and momentum and, and having B2B marketers even improve upon all of the great strides that they've made so far. I'd like to sort of answer that question by taking a slight lead on from where Anamika left off, which is this point about silos, because I think what we've seen in the last 10 years is this extraordinary revolution in technology, which has enabled us to reach customers in, in brilliant and new and exciting ways. And as we've talked about, B2B marketing is absolutely, you know, catching up with all that and doing and doing very well. I think the next uh, shift is going to be actually an organizational design shift. And there's nothing at all to stop B2B marketers being on the front line of this, which is to start reorganizing our organizations around the customer and in ways that allows us allow us to adapt quickly, to flex quickly, to test, to learn, to optimize. So we're, we're using language at the moment like um, uh, levers and dials because we want to get this idea that actually your marketing activity is, a, is an experimental activity. We are continuously improving. But the only way you can do that is if you have a team that's capable of getting together, starting a project and disbanding quickly when it's not working and moving on to something else. This requires extraordinary organizational agility. So we've got these things happening hand in hand, which I think are, are really interesting. And, and, and we're seeing some fascinating new organizational design models that have kind of come from the agile um, movement where, where people are like Spotify at the moment, having a very, very interesting organizational design model that's very different to the, the classic hierarchy. And I think the thing that's going to get in the way of B2B organizations the most over the next year and, and beyond are all those little lines on an org chart that's that's the the invisible lines on the old chart are are where are the biggest barriers are yeah 100% I, I love what simon said from the um you know internal organization perspective right and that is that is something we cannot miss and that is something which is happening now into most of the b2b organizations they are reshuffling and they are bringing that culture that mindset shift that is needed to do that i'll probably add value from the external perspective right where customer comes into the picture i think it's about the pace of change right how you're changing and how quickly you're changing it is important um and for it is and it it has it has become as i said it has become a little bit easier for b2b to make it happen um is because of the technology and i think ai and ml machine learning kind of stuff will help us excel very fast but um, as we use these technologies, we need to be ethical, responsible as well. I do want to say that out because sometimes we think when we have technology in our hand, we can do anything, but we really need to kind of use it um, effectively and efficiently. But I do believe AI and ML will change in next couple of months and years to come, I would say, a lot of things. A lot of things, how we interact with the customer, how we make it more human, right, in our interactions. And, and, and uh, you know, how, <clears throat> rather than kind of, you know, making things more robotic, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, empathetic connections with the customers, using these technologies. So I, I kind of, I, I think that's from the external world perspective, I would I would say. And actually, if I could come in on something there, because it's such a good point. And, and the underlying um, challenge for a lot of B2B marketers and B2B organizations more generally there is going to be data. You know, none of that technology works well unless it's fed with really good data. 
And so again, we have this challenge, which is that you want to get the data about customers, about your key accounts, about what they're doing, you know, the, their behaviors and so on. That needs to be, first of all, processed. It needs to be structured. It needs to be displayed in a way that's usable. All of that's a huge challenge. And you need to do it ethically and responsibly, of course. You know, we don't want to go back to when we've already got plenty of legislation that, that that's had to be introduced because people didn't, didn't do things ethically and responsibly. And we want to continue being able to work as marketers and not have all of our, our, our sort of abilities cut off because we haven't used the data we have ethically. So I think there's a real, that's a real challenge. And, and one certainly I know uh, many of the B2B organizations that we face, they've got big challenges around this big you know legacy systems for example that are filled with really important data that doesn't that don't that doesn't communicate with anything else because it was proprietarily built you know these are things that people have to unpick and they're, and they're, they're not easy yeah if i can just add one more thing you know what these new technologies like metaverse and everything else it excites me so much i'm so much kind of trying to learn things here but it scares me to the death as well it is a scary it is a scary where we are going and if if we are not being ethical, responsible citizens, I am not too sure how we're going to help our coming coming generations. So we just need to be, we just need to look into that factor really very closely. You know, it was it was interesting, and and there's there's this kind of riffs off that a little bit. But the, the word value came up earlier, um, and I think that's really important when you're when you're when you're speaking to your customers. And you know, so let's talk a little bit about value because that does tie into purpose. Um, it does tie into speed too. I mean, we don't, we value our time. Let's talk a little bit about how we bring value in this new world order and, and how that we're going to get even better at it in, in, in 2022. It's hard to believe that that's what year we're in, but that, but we are, I'm told. I mean, yeah, I guess at its heart, you know, every really good business proposition is a, is a promise of value. You know, every brand is a promise of value, a value exchange somewhere. But I, I suppose maybe what we're talking about a bit more here is how do you exchange value in return for someone's time and attention when you're trying to do the business of, of selling them something. And I, and I actually kind of, I'm a bit old fashioned on this. I think that goes back to, to speaking to people and to finding out what they care about, you know, and, and doing that as often as possible. The way that you create value, or at least the starting point for that, in my view, is a fantastic customer insight program. Speak to people interview people, survey people, listen to, you know, look at conversations online, look at what people are interested in and actually understand them as deeply as you can. Um, and not just in the way that they relate to you and your product and your brand, but actually what do they care about in their jobs, in their work and, and in their lives? You know, that that's where creating value starts because once you understand all of those things, then you can start solving problems for people and, and um, entertaining people, educating people, inspiring people. And there's value in all of that. It's about a storytelling. And when we are doing a storytelling, and I think Simon just did indicate a little bit about a storytelling, but um, I'll take from the messaging perspective, a couple of months before we were talking about being empathetic to our customers, right? In fact, I think in the in the past few weeks, I have realized it's actually a step further now. You need to be compassionate. You need to really feel now. Like, how can you help rather than just feeling? It's about how can you help, right? And that needs to come out in the storytelling. That's the value that we can deliver to the customer. When they when they kind of you know see those small bites um, coming into the marketing materials we are creating. Or, and how we are pushing this into multiple channels, that where they're kind of digesting this information, 
when they when they kind of spend that time, and I want to make this point here because it's very fascinating to me because customer attention, in fact, all three of us actually have an attention less than a goldfish, right? So think about the customers. So if, if your customer is seeing your content, you're lucky because you grab their attention and you need to hold on to it. And how you can hold on to it when you're storytelling stuff and you're being compassionate in your message, when they relate themselves to you, right? So I think that is that is the value as a marketer. We can kind of you know deliver to our customers um, and then engage them and retain them. Great. So I think there's there's... I'm going to ask one more question, and I'm going to ask each of you to give us an actionable insight or one thing that people can can activate at home, um, you know, or, or after this in the office or after this session that they can do right away. But um, what shouldn't we be doing in this day and age? What are some things we need to just kind of leave behind in the past and be like, that is done? Well, I, ha- I have a list, but we won't go into okay, all. Okay. <laughs> No, I tell you what, it just springs straight into my head because it's a real bugbear of mine, but that is organic social media. Uh, this is, if if you're using social media and you're not using any kind of paid uh, promotional, anything behind it to pay for that uh, message to be spread more widely, it isn't, it's very likely that it isn't reaching anyone. And so I see so many brands still doing what, I mean, we talked about what the, you know, B2C brands pick up from, uh, B2B brands pick up from B2C brands. Unfortunately, I think one of the bad habits has been the idea that organic social media is, is a good use of time and constitutes marketing because typically it's very labor intensive. It's very slow burn. And it doesn't deliver high ROI. And a lot of the time people are doing this stuff, they're not measuring at all you know, what it's actually delivering, you know, is it delivering any results? Love social media, but put some money behind it. (laughs) That's a good point. There's so many habits in terms of the channels we use, the content we use, the, you know, the media we use to get to our customers. Uh, But probably I'll kind of maybe talk about a step much further before anything, any of these comes, because in my mind, these these are just the enabler for you to kind of you know, reach to your customers, right? I would say leave uh, when you're building your plan, when you when you're kind of you know, planning your stuff to connect with the customers. Leave performance beside as you're kind of building that. Bring purpose to the front. You know, think about that you are actually building the plan to connect with another human being, and how would you do that? And I'd say performance will follow if your if that plan is solid. If, if you're able to connect with your customer in a much human way, you don't have to go behind the performance. Performance will follow you. Excellent. Well, I think that kind of tees up our, our finale. But if you had to pick one thing, and I know it's hard, but one thing that you want to advise our viewers uh, on to do, in your opinion, uh, what would that be? And uh, Simon, I'm going to go to you first. I know it's a tough question. I really think it's about experimentation. This would probably be my thing is to say, Start seeing campaigns and activity as experiments. See your your strategies as hypotheses to be tested and get real-world data about what works. Because you can spin wheels for a long time in an organization arguing about what will and won't work. Get it out into the real world and find out. And then have a really robust way of uh, tracking those experiments and, and circling back and retroing experiments to see if they are working and then change direction. 
So for me, that would be my my buzzword for the year is experimentation, optimize. Very nice. Anamika, what do you think? Your one, your one bit of wisdom. I would say make mistakes, probably in the same line as Simon. Oh, there you go. Make mistakes because this is the time. You don't have to be 100% perfect. You, you just need to go out and keep testing out the market. This is the time and this is the good time for us to go test it out with the customers because they are responding, right? They are in the same boat as us. They are changing. So let's just make mistakes and learn from it. And um, and uh, if you if you're able to kind of put it back, scale it if it kind of works and <laughs> just scale it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's certainly a lot of experimentation that's going to happen and there's an expectation for it among our, you know, our audiences and respect, you know, they're like, that's cool. They tried that. So it's such an exciting time. I'm so glad we had this moment together to talk about it and pontificate a little bit about the future. Um, so thank you both for joining, joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you, Ken. And and, and thank you, everyone who tuned in. And please tune in for the rest of the session. So many great insights, so much great stuff. Thank you very much. Bye.